0: to meet with us here week after week, Lord, to meet with us personally where we're at, Lord. Uh, we read in your word, we often discuss it, Lord, that you don't look at the way we look on the outside, because we can we put our best foot forward when we come to church here. We put our maybe our best clothes on, or uh, maybe shave on a Sunday morning, or whatever it is, Lord. Uh, we're not, you're not looking at the outside, Lord. Um, you're looking at the inside. And you know what's going on in there and what's stirring and what's happening. And we're thankful for that, Lord. So we're just asking you, Lord, to keep searching. We give you full access to our hearts, uh, to our minds, Lord. And, and uh, I pray that all that would be attached to our will. We want to respond to what you're showing us, to what you're speaking to us, God. Uh, I just pray we can do that. Uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear today, Jesus, in your name. Amen. So Israel asks for a king like the rest of the world. They want to be like the rest of the world. And, and God does that. He grants them their request. And maybe you've heard it said that God doesn't call the equipped, but he equips the called. And we see that in the last chapter. We see that as God chooses Saul, he grabs a guy and he changes him into a new man, gives him another heart. He, we're going to see in this chapter that he's actually going to fill him with his Holy Spirit and anoint him for what he's going to do. And that's the same thing God does for you and I. It's not just for a pastor, or an evangelist, or a missionary. God equips us with his Holy Spirit. I said it last week, you know, for you men, sometimes that's what we need, an extra measure of the Holy Spirit to do the laundry, right? Or to do dishes, You know, we can start grumbling and not do things not in a loving way. And it's kind of a joke, but it's not. You know, we think, man, fill me with the Spirit. I'm going to witness to this guy at work today. Or I'm going to, you know, share my faith with this girl at at work today. But sometimes you need an extra measure of the Holy Spirit just to be a mom, to be a dad, to be a husband, to be a wife, to do things that are loving and kind to the people in your own house, right? Right? That's what you need to be filled with the Spirit with, to be forgiving. Forgive, don't you know what they did to me? Jesus forgave you, right? So we need that extra measure. You know, you read the book of Acts. You finish up in Acts chapter 28, and Paul the apostle is is preaching and teaching the word, the The book of Acts, you know, the inspiration of the word of God ends there, right? That's in the book of Acts 28. But the work of the word of God continues right until this very day, until Jesus calls us home. The work of his Holy Spirit in his church to be baptized, to be filled, to go out and make disciples of men, it still happens. It should be happening in you and I. It's the work he's called us to. And it takes a measure of God's Holy Spirit, a touch, beyond being sealed and being a Christian. Because if you're a Christian here today, Ephesians tells us that you're sealed. You're born again, right? The, 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 the apostles, you know, the, Jesus breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit, but there was something else they needed. They needed a baptism beyond all the teaching. And, and it's what we need. And we're going to see that in this chapter. God's Holy Spirit is going to fill Saul. Saul. Uh, But he gives him, you know, the Holy Spirit, Jesus through Samuel gives him all these things. That Listen, when you go here, you're going to see these guys. They're going to have, you know, three kids, three loaves of bread, a skin of wine. You know, they're going to give you two. You're going to see these prophets come off the mountain. There's actually going to be the enemy on the hill there. You know, all these confirmation after confirmation after confirmation, what to solidify Saul's calling and his faith. And that's what God is so faithful to do in you and I. You, is your faith discouraged today? Are you wondering what you should be doing today? It should be in the Word of God. It should be around brothers and sisters who are in the Word of God. right? Not just talking to their Christian, right? Sometimes Christians, if they're not in the word of God, they might give you bad counsel. So anyways, we've got to keep moving here. Verse 1 in chapter 11 says, Then Nahash the Ammonite came up and encamped against Jabesh-Gilead. And all the men of Jabesh-Gilead said to Nahash, Make a covenant with us that we may serve you, right? So this king comes out, encamps around Jabesh-Gilead. Why? What? For war. They're going to overtake the city. And they had been going from city to city in Israel. And it says, and in, in Nahash, the Ammonite answered them when they said, hey, make a covenant, we'll be your servants. He thinks about it and he says, all right, on this one condition, I'll make a covenant with you that I might put, listen, <laughs> that I might put out all your right eyes and bring a reproach on all of Israel pretty amazing. Yeah, you can be our servants on one condition. I'll just need your right eye. That's okay. And these guys are going to think about it. Like, mm, maybe I will. Nahash, you guys probably know that this, what his name means. It means serpent, right? You, you don't want to make a covenant with a serpent. You don't want to make a deal with who he represents, that's the devil, right? But they're willing to do that. Nahash, in the book of Judges, I believe it's chapter 11, Jephthah, empowered by the Holy Spirit, the Spirit comes on this guy and he defeats the Ammonites. He defeats this kingdom and runs them out. But because of compromise, that this nation has already been in compromise, worshiping other gods, Wanting to be like the world, doing what the world does, they're weak again. They're weak. And we read in 1 Peter chapter 5, and you guys know this Peter says, Be sober and vigilant, be awake and watching, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion goes about seeking whom he may devour. If you remember in Exodus chapter 17, the children of Israel are coming out of Egypt, heading to the promised land. And this group, this enemy of Israel, the Amalekites, attack. Do you guys remember how they attack? If you remember... They don't take them head on. They don't take the guys that are leading the pack, leading the charge, protecting. What they do is they go around behind. And who's at the back of the pack usually? People who are weak. They can barely make the journey. They're struggling, right? That's who the Amalekites are after. They're after weak people. And weak people are compromised people. Weak people are people that allow the world in peace to their life. That's who the enemy's after, right? The enemy doesn't, you you you've watched Discovery Channel enough to know that the lion isn't going after you know, this, this big, huge uh, uh, bull, right? They're going after these little guys that are running around that don't know, you know which way to go or something weak or something that's injured already or something that's a little sick that can't keep up. The devil is after people who aren't in the word, that are getting out of fellowship, that are compromising what they're watching, what they're ingesting, what they're doing, who they're talking to, the devil goes about. He's walking. He's seeking. He's a master strategist. Don't think it's random that he's coming after you or me. He's watching, and he knows. And, and, and these guys are willing, this is where they're at, they're half willing, all right, let, maybe, maybe it's our right, let's, let's poke our eyes out, that might be the best thing for us, right? Let's, let's just serve this serpent, right? Not a good idea, and, and what's he want? He's going after the eye, he's going after the eye. Right? And he wants the right eye. Most people here probably are right-handed. So in battle, you'd hold your, your uh, shield with your left hand, right, and you'd be looking with your right eye, with a sword in your right hand. Right? You're at an advantage if you get your right eye plucked out and you're left-handed. You can still battle a little bit, right? You're hoping to block But that's what the devil wants to do, is take away your vision, isn't it? Wants to take Proverbs, Solomon said, where there's no vision, people perish. You're gonna die. Right? And the devil's not looking for one eye, he's looking for both your eyes, like, like Samson. Doesn't just, he's not satisfied with one. He'll take one now, maybe. You think he's not gonna come after the other one? He wants to take your vision away. Maybe you've lost vision as a mom, as a dad as a husband, as a wife. You've lost focus in this life. Maybe you've been compromising. You don't want to make a deal with the devil, with that serpent. You need to get your vision back. You need to get your vision back. He wants to blind you. So he says, hey, let me take your right eye. We might be able to make a deal with you here. So verse 3, like I said, the elders of Jabesh say to him, all right, maybe that'll work. Hold off for seven days that we may send messengers to all the territory of Israel. And then if there's no one to save us, we'll come out to you. Now why would they say that? Who, I mean, this is a nation. These are 12 tribes. These are people that come alongside of each other. Why why would they say, all right, let's see if anyone will help us. Well, I got to tell you the backstory, and it's a little gruesome. And some of you may know it in Judges. 19, 20, 21. It's It's the time in that nation's history where there was no king in Israel, it says, and everyone was just doing what was right in their own eyes, what seemed good. And it wasn't always good, unfortunately. And if you, we don't have to turn there, but in in chapter 19, there was a Levite living in Ephraim, and he married a woman from Bethlehem, Judah. And she goes back to her land. You know, he's living in Ephraim, and she goes back and lives with her father, but it says she commits whoredom for four months. With other men. And he's like, I gotta rescue this woman. I gotta go back after her. So he goes to her father, his father-in-laws, and he's there. He keeps him and keeps him. If you you can read the whole story, and finally, um, he's like, We gotta go, we gotta go. After days and days, the father-in-law is trying to keep him. He said, We gotta leave. So he leaves and he can't make it all the way home, and he has to stop in Gibeah of Benjamin. So he stops in Gibeah. And this man sees him out in the town square and says, dude, you can't stay out here. It's bad. Come to my house. So he goes to their house. You guys may know this story. Goes to their house. I'm sure you do. Goes to the house, and not long after, here's the men of the city knocking on the door. Hey, send that guy out. We want to have relations with him and not just talk. He wants to much much the way it was in the days of Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah. Send him out. We want to have physical relationship with this guy. And the guy's like, no, you guys can't do that. You guys can't do that. So what happens? Everyone's doing what's right in their own eyes. They send out the concubine. And these men have their way with her all night. Till the morning, she crawls back to the door and dies. And they cut her in 12 pieces. Crazy and send her out to all the tribes and say, we got to do something here. This is nuts. Look at where we are as a nation. We have to do something. And they get all the tribes together and they start to number them and grab them. And they go after the men of Gibeah. Remember, that's where Saul's from. And they go after the men of Gibeah and they wipe the city out except for 600 men flee to the mountains. And then they're like, gee, we've had some, suffered some loss here too. This was kind of tough on us. Who didn't show up? Who didn't come to this battle? Because they're in trouble now. Now we're after the people that didn't come help us. Guess who it was? Jabesh Gilead. They didn't come. So what they do with them is they wipe them out and keep 600 virgins so the tribe could be preserved, and they send them up to the mountains to those men who escaped from Gibeah, if you guys are following me. So Jabesh Gilead's here. The guy says, okay, I'll wait seven days. Good luck finding anyone to help you because when they needed help, you weren't there. When Jabesh Gilead didn't show up on the scene, that serpent knew their history and their past, and he's like, one's going to help you dude look at how you've treated all these other people look at what you've done there's no one going to help you right and the story because Saul is going to help because here's the reality Gibeah and Jabesh Gilead they came together and these are Saul's relatives he's from Gibeah these are this is his family and he and we're going to see He's stirred up in righteous indignation, and he's going to help. But sometimes we feel like, you may feel like today, I've failed. I've failed to help other people. I've failed to love somebody. I've failed to do this. I'm a failure. I've messed up in my life. Who's ever going to help me? I've burned that bridge. I've hurt that person. Why would they ever help me? And this is the story of that Redemption. Because Saul's going to come alongside and he's going to help. He's going to help these people that, that Nahash thought is unhelpable. No one's going to love them. No one's going to care. No one's going to step in to their aid and help. That's re- the redemption story, isn't it? We've burned a lot of bridges, we've made a lot of mistakes in this world, in this life. But we have a God in heaven who sees you and sees me and, and who cares. Who loves us? And it's sad, but our past can't define us. Who we were can't be what we walk in every day, because we have a God who loves us and a God who cares. And if someone's burned a bridge with you, and you think, "I'm not helping that dude. He's an idiot. What a jerk she is. You better think twice about who's helped you and who's cared for you. Right? We need to help each other. We're a bunch. We're all going to make mistakes. And we all need help at different times. So he's, they're like, just give us seven days. Maybe someone will help us. Maybe. Hold off. So Verse 4 says, so they send messengers. And they came to Gibeah of Saul and told the news in the hearing of the people. And all the people lifted up their voices and wept. And now there was Saul coming behind from the herd from the field. And Saul said, what troubles the people that they're weeping? And they told him the words of the men of Jabesh. Right? Here's Saul. What is he? He's not a soldier or a king. He's not this trained guy that's gonna be this next amazing king. He's just a farmer. Comes from the field. Just a regular person, right? That's who God chooses. If you remember the book, turn to Acts chapter four with me. We'll read it real quick. Cross references give me time to take a sip water. So I'll read quickly. It says, As they spoke to the people, verse 1, the priests and the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them, these are the apostles, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men who came to be about 5,000, and it came to pass the next day that the rulers, the elders, and the scribes, as well as Ananias, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. These were the elite, the Sanhedrin were there. That's the 70 ruling officials in Israel, of which, if, if you remember, uh, Nicodemus was the ruler of Israel. He was over all the Sanhedrin. And it says, when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, asked them, by what power or what name have you done this? And Peter, being filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. if we, Now, these, so it's like they're talking to the elite, the most educated, the most informed, the most influential people in the nation. And he says, if we're judged, if we're this day judged for a good deed done to a helpless man by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. And this is the stone which was rejected by the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone nor is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And I read all that to read verse 13. That's where I wanted to get to. And it says, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, who were they? They were just fishermen. These guys were fishermen. Have you guys ever taken a charter? Or, you know, they're just regular guys. They're just average people that would be, you know, what Saul is, he's just a farmer. You know, we all have just a trade, not maybe the most educated. They saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. They didn't know the Bible the way these guys did. They didn't study the law of Moses. They didn't study the way these guys studied. They saw the boldness. They're like, these guys were, who trained these guys? Who, where was he in your school? Was he in your school? Was how did they perceive their uneducated, untrained men? But they marveled and realized, ah, these guys have been with Jesus, right? That's the transformation in your spending time with Jesus, right? So he can take farmers. He can, you can he can take fishermen. He can take a guy who did flooring his whole life or painting. Those are the, my two trades like I would fall back on. That's all I've ever done, right? Just an old fisherman. That God said, hey, I've got something for your life. The, what he can do in anybody's life, in everybody's life if you're a Christian. Turn to First Corinthians chapter 1. You probably know this too, Sure. First Corinthians chapter one, just a couple pages away. Verse 20 says this: where's the wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the disputer of this age? Has not God made the fool made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom, did not know God, and it pleased God through the foolishness of the message or foolishness of preaching. The message preached to save those who believe. Just a simple, hey, can I share Jesus with you? You're lost. You're a sinner separated from God, and he loves you. He died for you to save you from your sins. That's a pretty simple message. Why? Because God has put set eternity in everybody's heart. And that clicks for people, right? We don't have to convince someone, I've got 50 scriptures for you and this is gonna get you, it's great if you have them, share them. But sharing the truth in love, God has already gone before you, preparing the way to share the gospel with someone. That's that's what, you know, we looked at it last week. The Holy Spirit shall be with you, comes alongside you and and taps people on the shoulder and says, hey, you need Jesus, You need Jesus. You're separated from God. You're going to spend an eternity somewhere. You need him. And then some guy just at the gas station, hey man, you know Jesus loves you? What What did you just say? Because God's already preparing the ground of the heart. The foolishness of preaching, just telling someone, right? The devil thinks you, you can't share the gospel. You don't know enough. You're not wise enough. And so many people think, you're right, I'm, I'm not. I better hold off. Maybe next year, if I go to Bible college, I can share. He says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than man and the weakness of God is stronger than man. For you see your calling, brethren, that not many wise, it doesn't say no wise, but not many wise according to the flesh and not many mighty and not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, the base things. I remember Bill Galton always used to say, the grease scrapings, you know, you cook bacon and it's what's left in the pan, that's us, right? The grease scrape, the off-scouring of this world. And we want to think of ourselves a little, oh, that's not me educated. No, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. Or you just become another Pharisee or Sadducee, right? You need Jesus Christ and his power. Or you just become an overly educated Pharisee. And instead of reaching out in love to people, you raise your standard for people. You need to be better. You need to be a better person. Rather than saying, you need Jesus Christ to change. You need... Jesus Christ in your heart. The base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. The things that are not to bring to nothing. The things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. So that's what God is doing with Saul here. Just a regular, just a farmer, a fisherman, a carpenter, a mechanic, a whatever. Right? Right? taking the whosoevers and using them for the kingdom of God. So he comes out from the field. And it says, verse 6, that the Spirit of God comes upon Saul when he heard this news, and his anger was greatly aroused. The Spirit of God comes on Saul, and his his anger was greatly aroused aroused. The Spirit of God comes on your life not to give you goosebumps. It's it's not a goosebump thing. He comes upon Saul, he becomes angry, and he responds to a situation properly. That's the Spirit of God fell on Jesus, led him into the wilderness to be tempted after his baptism, and what happened? He was able to respond to the devil's temptation Properly, it is written. It is written. It is written. Right, you see, if you follow through the book of Judges, the Spirit of God coming on Othniel, Caleb's brother, on uh, Gideon, on different men, even Samson, we see it on Saul. We see it on uh, in First Samuel. We see it on David in First Samuel that it gives you the power to have the proper response in a situation, to do the right thing, the power of God, just to do what's right. We need that. And, and so he's angry. And sometimes that's what the Spirit of God does. It causes Anger is a proper response sometimes, right? The Bible says to be angry and sin not. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. But to be angry because sometimes there's things that happen in this world that make you angry. When you hear Wes Bentley in a couple weeks, there's things you're going to hear that make you angry that you're going to say, I want to respond to that. What can I do? How can I help? That's what the Spirit of God does. He comes on people so we can respond the proper way and do the right thing in a situation. We see that in Jesus's life. He turned over the money changers tables a couple times right angry in the temple why cuz they were misrepresenting god they were robbing the people turn to me turn with me to mark chapter 3 for a second this is recorded in 3 of the 4 gospels i believe Anger can stir the heart to do what's right, to properly respond, to do the right thing the right way. So it says this in chapter three, verse one, he entered the synagogue, this is Jesus, and a man was there who had a withered hand. It was his right hand. And this, and, and they're setting Jesus up here. It says, verse two, so they watched him closely, that's Jesus, whether he would heal on the Sabbath day So that they might accuse him. So, this guy who would not normally be allowed in the temple, he's kicked out. He's got a problem, an issue. And they would kick people out of the temple. Man, God's punishing you, or this is God's judgment on your life. So, if you had a problem, you couldn't even, you're not allowed. But they let this guy in this week. Why? Because they knew Jesus was going to be there. And they're like, bring this guy in, let's see if he'll heal him and then we can show everybody this guy doesn't follow God's law his rules this he, they want to disqualify his words so that they've got the whole plan here's our setup we're going to get him this time because there's no way Jesus is going to see somebody that's in need and walk away true he looks at your life and says doesn't say ah you're hopeless right thank God he doesn't do that they knew that his heart of compassion, that he couldn't see this guy who has a withered hand and just turn a blind eye to it. Even if he felt like, man, they're going to twist my words. They're going to trap me. I better not do anything. Maybe I'll go see him after and heal him. Maybe I'll talk to him in private when nobody's around. It won't be as big of a stir. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, "Haste, come here. Step forward. And that's what it takes. You've got a withered hand today. You've got a problem today. You don't know Jesus Christ today. Hey, you got to step forward. You have to. Because that's what Jesus wants to heal you. He says, hey, step forward. And then he said to them, this guy standing there, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil, to save life or to kill? And they couldn't say anything. They kept silent. And it says, when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved at the hardness of their heart, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. He could have stretched his left hand out. I'm fine. What are you talking about, man? I'm good. I've got no problems here. And maybe he didn't want anyone to see. Maybe he's ashamed. But he's like, no, I do have a problem. And it's this hand right here. And he stretches it out and says, this is what my problem is. I need help. You're right. Here's my chance. But he could have said, ah, I'm okay. What are you talking about? And walked away and never got healed, never got touched. But Jesus angered him. Anger is the proper response sometimes. Anger, righteous indignation is being angry over something that's morally incorrect, right? And there's a lot of that these days. We see it a lot. So back in Samuel, verse 7, he took the yoke of oxen. Does, does this sound familiar? Maybe he did it because of the story I told you guys about in Judges. So he takes the yoke of oxen and cuts it in pieces and sent them throughout all the territory of Israel by the hands of messengers, saying, whoever doesn't go out with Saul and Samuel to battle, so it shall be done to your ox. You'll be bankrupt. That's like taking your tractor and blowing it up. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the people and they came all with one consent, right? They all came out. The the idea is to do nothing and to turn a blind eye is wrong. If you know there's a problem and an issue and you can help and to turn a blind eye, it's wrong. It's wrong to do. So they get a little inspiration here too. And when he numbered them in Bezek and the children of Israel were three. 300,000, and the men of Judah, 30,000. And they said to the messengers who came, Thus shall shall you say to the men of Jabesh-Gilead, Tomorrow, by the time the sun is hot, you'll have help. And the messengers came and reported to the men of Jabesh, and they were glad. Isn't it good to know that there's help? That's the good news of the gospel, right? The bad news is, if you're not a Christian, you're a sinner separated from God not going to heaven. But the good news is there's help, and it's all God. All you got to do is stretch forth your hand, your right hand. Say, Lord, I need help. And he's done it all. He died on the cross for us, so you don't have to. He gave up his kingdom to give us his kingdom. And they were glad, and I would be too, because they didn't know if they were going to get any help. They didn't know if anyone would look at them and say, yep, I'll do it, because they lived in their past, and they understood, and so did Nahash. These guys are jerks. They've been jerks forever. No one's going to help them. And to hear the news, someone's going to help me? They were glad. Therefore, the men of Jabesh said, tomorrow we'll come out to you, And you may do with us whatever seems good to you. I don't know if that was a little deceptive, but they're about to get it the next day. But they did come out the next day. So it was on the next day, Saul put the people in three companies that they came into the midst of the camp in the morning watch and killed the Ammonites until the heat of the day. And it happened that those who survived were scattered so that not two of them were left together. And often they'd have two guys go out side by side, right, to strengthen each other. First John 3, 8 says, little ch- children, let us not love in word or speech, but in deed and truth. And that's what, that's what Saul does here, isn't it? Good luck, I'll pray for you. Have a good time. Hopefully, Godspeed. No, he went to the battle. We can we can tell, you know, we, we we can be people, men and women that are all talk, but no action. John says, hey, we need to love indeed in deed and truth. In action. Show me. Right? Verse 12 says, And the people said to Samuel, Who is he who said, Shall Saul reign over us? Bring the men that we, we might work. We're killing people. Let's kill these guys too. Right? that we might put him to death. But Saul said, no, not a man shall be put to death this day, for today the Lord has accomplished salvation in Israel. We're not gonna kill anyone today, right? But something we need to remember, something Saul does right here, is it wasn't his victory. He remembered this is God's victory. This was God's doing. This is the Lord's victory. Never lose sight and sense of your dependence on Jesus Christ and on his Holy Spirit. Never. Saul's going to lose touch with that. Saul's going to lose touch with that. And it's going to tank him. He's going to miss it. That's why I think Paul, three times in the book of Acts, shared his testimony, who he was. I think in Galatians he shares it. Like, I was a killing Christians. I was an idiot. I was a... Right? So the understanding of who we were keeps us in a humble state of who God, how God can use us today. Right? Remembering who we used to be. And he, he says, hey, today the Lord has accomplished salvation. And Samuel said to the people, come, let us go to Gilgal to renew the kingdom. So they're all, now everyone is united. And it's not because Saul is a prophet, that he's anointed, uh, because he's threatening people. It's because of love. Not because he looks good, he's taller than everyone else. It's because of love, because of what he did, this act of love and kindness. And, and we're going to close here in verse 15. It says, all the people went to Gilgal, and there, made, there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal, and there they made sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel rejoiced greatly. If you guys remember where Gilgal is. Gilgal was the place that the priests, the first place they put their foot on the ground once the Jordan River opened up. And they led the ark across. And they stepped across, and it was Gilgal. It was a place where the 12 stones would be that they took out of the center of the river to remind them, wow, look what God did. Parted this river so we could cross and enter into the promised land. It was a place that, that uh, Joshua said that the reproach of Egypt, it mean, Gilgal means rolled away, that the reproach of Egypt would be rolled away. The reproach of who you used to be and who the shame is what it is. It's rolled away. It's a great place to worship. It's a great reminder. That's what we have for the cross. That's what we have in communion a reminder. Because they would go there to Gilgal and they would look, oh, yeah, there's those stones. That's where our forefathers crossed. That's where they set them up. They pulled them out of the center of that river and they worshiped here. It's a place of a fresh start, a new beginning, a place to worship. And that's what they're anointing Saul as king. They're like, we got a fresh start here. We're united again. That's what God wants to give people, a fresh start. The reproach and the shame of Egypt represents our old nature, the old man who's been forgiven, redeemed. We're new creatures. If any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away and everything is new. We're new people. That's what Gilgal represents. That's, it. Was no it was it was not just uh, some coincidence or, hey, well, let's what, what town do I like? They got really good falafels in Gilgal. Let's go there. No, it's because these stones were there. It's because they wanted to remember what God had done. It meant a rolling away of this reproach. They were shamed in Egypt. They failed in Egypt. They were captive in Egypt, and it was a reminder that you're set free that there's someone there to help. Here's Saul, who was, had such a great start in life as a king, just a farmer, just a regular guy, a great start, and he'd be there to help. He was helping, and we have a God in heaven who wants to help. If you don't know him today, you can. You can know. We have a cross, a reminder of who he is and what he's done for you. Gilgal. Great place, so Lord, we're so thankful, Lord, for your love, for who you are, and what you've done for us, God. That although we've made lots of mistakes uh, before we knew you, we've made mistakes as Christians, and you're there to help us. You don't, you, you never. The Bible says you'll never leave us or forsake us. You're by our side, Lord, and. And anything we've ever done, Lord, we don't get punished for it. Anything we've done wrong, we're not, as a Christian, you're not punishing. It's not punitive, Lord. It's corrective. You chasten those. You correct people that you love as sons and daughters. And we need it sometimes, Lord, to stay in line, God, because we get off. I pray, here, pray pray, this morning, Lord, if anyone doesn't know you today, if they're putting their best foot forward in life, they're, they're, they're stretching out their left hand, their good hand, but in their pocket or behind their back, Lord, there's a, there's a withered hand, something you want to heal, something you want to touch, Lord. I pray today, this morning, even in their hearts, Lord, that they would just stretch it forth to you. A God who loves, who sees, who already knows the hand is withered. Because uh, you just want to heal. And it doesn't matter what they've done, or where they've been, even last night. You love them. You care about them, God. And I just pray that you touch hearts here today, Lord. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your word. The truth of it that penetrates our hearts, Lord, in your name.